We shall turn now to the Word of God, to the book of the Revelation again, the second chapter, and we shall continue considering the churches that are identified in Asia, the seven churches in Asia coming now to the church in Thyatira. And uh, you will see verse 18, we read unto the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass, I know thy works, and so on. This is the only time in the book of the Revelation where we have the exalted Savior identified as the Son of God. His deity is stressed here to the church in Thyatira. And for very good reason, as we shall see very shortly. But this is a church among the seven that has to be acknowledged and recognized to be different from the rest. This is the, as it were, the very central church, the fourth one, the middle one, and the seven. And it is not considered historically, Thyatira was not considered to be as outstandingly important as uh, great cities such as Ephesus and uh, so on. But it had its own peculiar place in society. It was a city of great trade and commerce, and uh, it was one of those cities where because of the fact there were so many different trades represented, so many different manufacturing uh, going on, that uh, it was a place where a multitude of guilds were established. And men, if they wanted to be involved in business, if they were uh, trading, well, they joined for the sake of their business and progress, they joined the particular guild connected with their trade. This was considered to be the path to success. Now, of course, to belong to one of these guilds required all kinds of practices just as we find in modern society, I don't know what it's like here, but it's a well-known, well-established fact that if you want to get on in the uh, police force, if you want to get on in certain uh, kinds of business, well, you join the Freemasons and that will help you along and so on because you'll belong the great brotherhood where brethren uh, assist brethren and uh, so on. And this was the kind of structure 
in the general society here in Thyatira. And yet, how amazing the church exists here. When we look at all these cities, and when we become aware of what they were like, the kind of society, the idolatry that had been established for centuries, the heathen worship and practice, the godlessness, the immorality, all the various contributions to make it a wicked and evil an adulterous society, yet there was the gospel established, there the churches were founded by divine power. The work that the Savior had sent the apostles to engage in, very obviously, was bearing fruit. Now, Thyatira is a very interesting church with a very interesting Beginning, when we go back to the Acts of the Apostles, we find Paul, and he comes to Philippi, and uh, you know how that in Philippi, there obviously was no synagogue. It was a pretty godless place, Philippi. But what we find is that on the uh, Sabbath, Paul went out. He was accustomed to engaging in worship. And he went out and found a little group of people, women, uh, engaged in prayer. And as Paul was obviously invited by these women to come, and minister to them, we are told that the Lord opened the heart of Lydia. He opened her heart and she received the truth. And she went away from that little gathering with something in her heart that had never been there before. Her heart was open to the truth. Now we're told that although she was in Philippi, she was of the city of Thyatira. That's where she really belonged. And therefore, we have reason to believe that when she would return to her home, she's engaged in business, as many from all over Asia, the cities they would come to trade, and they would come to engage in commercial transactions. So she came, and the Lord opened her heart. And he put something into her heart that she was able to take back here to Thyatira. Now, we do, know, do not know what other elements contributed to the establishing of the church in Thyatira, but that is one of the facts that is set before us in the scripture, stressing to us how so often what might appear to be a small matter, an insignificant incident, we read whose heart the Lord opened. 
That's what we read. And she attended unto the things that Paul speak. But she was of Thyatira, and no doubt she took what was in her heart back with her to that godless place. And here we come some years later <coughs> to find that the glorified Christ has an interest in Thyatira. And he has an interest in the church here so that there is a message or an epistle sent to the uh, the angel of the church in Thyatira. As we come to consider the message, the first thing that we need to observe is how the glorified Christ introduces himself to this church. The things that we read of him and his approach to the church in Thyatira. And then the second thing that we may consider is his commendation. There were things that Thyatira that Christ appreciated, that he approved of, and he commends the church in Thyatira for these things. And then the third thing, which is so important, is his rebukes and uh, his warnings. First of all then, how does he approach the church in Thyatira? Going back to the very first chapter, when we're introduced to the glorified Christ himself, what are we told about him? Chapter 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and so on. And from Christ who is the faithful witness. That's the very first thing we're told about him. The faithful witness. His testimony is absolutely accurate and reliable. He's a faithful witness. So that whatever he says, whatever he sends, whatever message he sends to any of these churches, it could not be more accurate. It is the most accurate assessment of the spiritual state and condition available. And therefore, when he writes to the church in Thyatira or addresses John and commands him to write, we cannot doubt for one moment, but this is exactly the state and the condition of the church in Thyatira. These things, saith the Son of God. These things saith the Son of God. I tell you, in Thyatira, they will have to take these things very seriously. We don't read these things 
saith John the Apostle. For these things saith the Son of God. And John knew only too well who the Son of God was. He wrote the gospel record that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he tells us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the one here who is speaking none less than the eternal Word, the eternal wisdom, the eternal mind, the eternal intelligence of the God of eternity is actually addressing the church here in Thyatira, and it is their wisdom then to lay seriously to heart what he has to say. But then he describes himself. He introduces himself as the Son of God and God the Eternal Son. And he introduces himself first of all to the church, but first of all through the angel of the church in Thyatira. It's a general opinion and I think rightly so that this is a reference to the messenger of God to that particular church or the bishop, the overseer, the minister of the church in Thyatira. It's very interesting. We don't read at the beginning introduced to these seven churches in Asia. There's not a general letter written to the archbishop or the cardinal of Asia, that he might then disseminate the information among the lower class of bishops or presbyters throughout the church in Asia. Nothing of that. The church is obviously simply governed with a bishop, a local parochial bishop, one messenger per church. That's very obvious. There's no way you can argue around it. And here's the message to the angel of the church in Samarna, or rather Thyatira. These things said the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet unto fine brass. When we go back to the first chapter, we see that this is part of the description. In verse 14, his head and his hairs were white as wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto brass, and they burned as in a furnace. And here now is this one addressing the faithful witness, the Son of God. And he's telling these who are his people in Thyatira, this message comes from one from whom absolutely nothing is hidden 
or can be hidden. Notice later on in this letter to Thyatira, verse 24, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden but that which ye have already hold fast. Now he is addressing the church that is rather mixed. There's good and evil here. There are godly and ungodly here in the church in Thyatira. It's a mixed body. And what the glorified Christ is saying, you who are faithful, I'm not going to lay any heavier burden upon you, but I do expect you to remain faithful and consistent and to hold fast that which you have till I come. Now, why is he speaking this way? Why is he making this division? Why is he not crediting everyone in Thyatira with grace and with good works? Because he is the searcher. He searches every body of his professing people. His eyes are as a flame of fire. And what does he himself say? Unto all the churches, they are to take note of this. I, uh, verse 23, uh, I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. Now, when do you think he does this? Here's the church in Thyatira. This letter comes and they're all assembled together somewhere. And the letter is read out to them. They hear these words. From the Son of God, I am he whose eyes are as a flame of fire, and I search the reins and the hearts. Do you know why I do it? Because I will give unto every one of you I will give unto every one of you. Imagine the people in Thyatira. Well, I can't escape from being included. Every one of you, that obviously includes me. He is addressing me. He's not just addressing the congregation in general. People in general in the church in Thyatira 
I will deal with you as a congregation, as an assembly, as a church. No, no. My eyes are as a flame of fire. And I am the faithful witness. So I miss nothing. I cannot be a faithful witness unless I know everything. I cannot be a faithful witness if I happen to overlook anything. I cannot be a reliable witness unless I know absolutely every fact that can be known about every person, every individual, young and old, in the church in Thyatira. When then do these people imagine he does this searching? Do you think they ask the messenger with this letter, hold on a little minute, you're telling us that this is from the Son of God. He says to us, he searches the hearts and the reins. Do you happen to know when he might be doing this? You know, that would be a pretty irresponsible kind of a question. Because they would know perfectly well that what is being addressed to them is the result of the searching. And if you and I understand what is written here, we then will be faced with this inescapable fact right now, at this very moment, he's searching. Not tomorrow, not next year, not on the day of judgment when the accounts are opened, but right now, he is searching. And what's he searching? He's searching your heart, and he's searching mine. What does that mean? He goes beneath the surface. He goes deeper. He searches the reins and the heart. So that he can testify to what no one else can possibly testify to. He is saying to these people here in Thyatira, remember who I am. That I know things about every one of you that others don't know. I know things about every individual in the church and Thyatira that none of those around them know. Because I search where they can't reach. And I go beneath the surface. I am not satisfied by pretenses. I am not satisfied 
with the outward forms and externals. I go behind all that. I go behind the outward appearance. I go behind the outward profession. I go deeper. I search. I plumb the depths of the human heart. I search into the motives. I search into every action, every thought, every word, and I analyze it, and I know whether it's honest, whether it's upright, whether it's false, whether it's hypocritical, I know whose eyes are as a flame of fire. And I am he which searcheth. I don't depend on others to report to me. I don't depend on elders or ministers to tell me what they think. I don't rely upon the reports of neighbors or family, family members. I don't need any of that because I know the truth. Do we understand that? Do we understand that Sabbath by Sabbath, when we come here, there's a searching going on? And furthermore, the searching is productive in the sense, as here, the glorified Christ says, I will give you, no, I will give unto every one of you. Now, here's an individual sitting in the congregation, Thyatira, listening carefully. Every word is important. I will give unto every one of you. The Son of God is going to give me something. I will give unto every one of you. Nobody's going to overlook to you. Nobody's going to be able to complain. Why did the Savior give him or give her? Didn't give me. I will give unto every one of you. What are you expecting? From him today. I will give unto every one of you. According. To your works. Not your profession. Not your outward appearance. But I will give unto every one of you. According to your works. Do we really believe that? Or do we somehow or other work it out in our minds? Ah, this was the church in Thyatira. 
And this was back in the first century. The glorified Christ doesn't do that anymore. He stopped searching in the second century. Doesn't do that anymore. He doesn't speak like this anymore. He doesn't deal with people as individuals anymore. He doesn't reward them in justice anymore. This is what we're told. I will give unto every one of you. Oh my, my, my. What are you expecting? In the light of what you know of yourself, my friend. What do you expect to give him? To give him to give you? Because this is what he says. And you can imagine someone in Thyatira sitting there. Oh, I thought... I thought I had managed to cover up this and hide away that. The elders here in Thyatira don't know about it. The angel of the church in Thyatira, he'd never suspect it. But oh here, The faithful witness whose eyes are as a flame of fire is telling me he knows and he's going to give me according to what he knows. That is mighty solemn. And what does he say to the church earlier as he's introducing himself? I know thy works and charity and service and faith and so on. And then in verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Now we're talking about the glorified Christ introducing himself to the church here. Describing himself, identifying himself, telling the church in Thyatira what he himself actually does in his relationship to the church. But he teaches us a very solemn lesson here. And we better take heed to it. Look at how he approaches A church which there is great problems. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. And they are serious things as we shall see. But he doesn't begin there. He starts with a commendation before he engages in criticism. Before he finds fault with the church in Thyatira, he comes with this commendation. Is that the right approach, do you think? 
Do you think that is the best approach? Do you think the one who is the Son of God and the one who is the Alpha and the Omega could be taught how to deal with matters like this, how to deal with problems like this, how to approach those who are in error and those who are guilty of sin before God, do you think that you might come along and tell the glorified Christ, I have a better method of dealing with things? You see his wisdom? He's going to have to say very strong things to the church here by way of rebuke and by way of warning. Ah, but you see the heart The heart of Christ, the tenderness, the compassion. He begins with commendation. And my dear friend, there is a lesson here for every one of us, you and I included. If you want to find fault with one of the Lord's children, You make sure before you start the criticism and before you start to issue your pontifical warnings and so on, make sure you start with the commendations first. That's what the Savior did. He didn't just come here to the church in Thyatira I want to address you on your sin. I want you to be aware of your wickedness. I want you to face up to the fact you are in a low state spiritually. He addresses them as friends, as those that he cares about, those he has a genuine interest in. And then after he has commended them, it's as though it softens the blow. And the blow is going to be pretty severe. Here is wisdom in action. Divine wisdom in action. Here is the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh. This is God himself speaking to the church in Thyatira. Now then, he goes on after the commendation and he acknowledges here, I know thy works, thy charity, thy service, thy faith, and thy patience. These are Great graces, I acknowledge. There is much evidence of grace among you people. And I'm not going to lay any heavier burden upon you than that which you already have. Hold fast. Continue as you're doing. Continue to be consistent. But 
he also says, I know thy works. Twice he says this, I know thy works. And the last to be more than the first. Here is a church commended because it is an energetic church. It's active. It's not asleep. It's not slothful. The godly here in the church in Thyatira are actively engaged in the work of God. And how are they motivated? By the spirit of charity. By the desire to be of service. In the exercise of faith. And they consistently carry on this work in the face of difficulties, with patience. Here, isn't, isn't this a church you'd want to join? Isn't this a church you would feel if you were spiritually minded at all? <laughs> I want to be in the church in Thyatira. These are good people. Here's a church that is evidently alive. And there's grace among these people. You cannot help but love them and feel attached and attracted to them. Ah, but Savior says, I have somewhat against thee. And you might, we didn't read that, we'd be thinking this is the best church possibly in Asia. Not only are they consistent, they're actually progressing. This is a progressive church because their latter works are even more and better than their first works. Here is the very opposite of the church in Ephesus. They had left their first love. They were in decline. Although outwardly they were conforming the discipline to an extent, yet something was going on in the heart. And here is the one who searches the hearts. And he's able to say, when I search the hearts, I can see charity. When I search the hearts of you people, In Thyatira, I can see you desire to be of service. You genuinely want to serve the Lord, and you want to serve his people, and you want to serve his cause. I can see the evidence of that. Furthermore, I can see your faith. You people trust God. You people advance with confidence in God. Your works are the works of faith. That's why you're making progress. Because you're trusting God. That's why your works are increasing and improving. That's why the projects, as it were, are getting bigger. Because you people live and act with faith in God. And you... Uh, act in patience. Everything doesn't go smoothly for you people in Thyatira. 
You meet with your difficulties. There are obstacles in the way. But you overcome by faith. And you patiently labor on. You don't surrender to the forces of darkness. You don't throw in the towel as it were and give up. Patience enables you to persevere and keep going and the work is advancing. This is a church you cannot help but admire. And yet there's a searching going on in the church and all hearts are not like this. There are warm hearts in Thyatira and there are cold hearts. There are those who are spiritually alive and there are those who are not. I have a few things against and they are not minor matters. I have a few things against thee, and they are very serious. Because thou sufferest, thou sufferest, yet you hold on to the truth, You live by faith, you serve Christ, you serve his cause, but your charity just goes too far. And your patience is unrestrained by fact and truth. Because thou sufferest that woman, Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess. Now, generally speaking, biblical scholars will agree on the fact that this was not literally the name of this individual, but because of her personality, because of her character, because of her activity, She is given this name that identifies her with the wicked Jezebel in the Old Testament, the wife of Ahab. And when Ahab brought her into the royal apartments in Israel, then she brought with her idolatrous practices and... uh, Ahab in reality became the instrument in her hand that she used against the prophets of the Lord and against the worship of Jehovah God. Now here in the church in Thyatira, something very, very seriously is going on that is disapproved by God. Thou sufferest. You tolerate it. You're too charitable. You're too kind. You're too patient. You allow your graces to go further than they ought to in their application. Which calleth herself 
a prophetess. Now, what does this do? This links her with the angel of the church in Thyatira. The bishop, the messenger, the teacher of the church in Thyatira. And here is one who is ministering in the church in Thyatira in the name of the Lord. She calls herself a prophetess. Notice there is no indication whatever that even one of her prophecies is accurate or true, she calleth herself a prophetess. She sets herself up as a prophetess to bring, like the Old Testament prophets, the word of the Lord to this people. Now you will see from verse 21 that Christ says, I gave her space to repent, and she repented not. It's as though she's been rebuked on occasions, she's been questioned on occasions, she's been disapproved of, and her prophetic ministry has been disapproved of, but no one is willing to stand up and call her a liar and a false prophetess and denounce her in her person and denounce her in her activities. No one seems to be prepared to do this. Perhaps... There are those in the church and they are impressed with what she has to say. Remember when we go back to First Kings and we meet with Jezebel at the first, she is an exceedingly strong character. She is most persuasive. You remember whenever Ahab one of the plot of land, Nebos, parcel of land, and he refused to sell it or give it up. Then old Ahab the king, he took to his bed and sulked. Jezebel comes along, Art not thou the king in Israel? And if you haven't the guts and the power to take the land, I'll sort it out. And soon she has the land in the hands of Ahab and the owner, the previous owner, is murdered. She's the kind of woman will stop at nothing. She's the kind of person who has drive and persuasive powers, convincing the ability to convince men that she possesses something that others don't. And she has managed 
to persuade men and women in the church in Thyatira, you must listen to me because I've got visions and I've got revelations and I have all kinds of uh, matters to disclose from God. I know what it is to have the secret of the Lord revealed to me and I can disclose it to you. Well, aren't these people wanting the word of God? Aren't they wanting the truth of God? Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach. That's a mighty serious matter here in the church in Thyatira. What have you, the angel of the church in Thyatira, what have you been doing? Where have you gone to? Have you vacated the pulpit? Have you deserted your office? Have you deserted these people? That you allow this woman, this Jezebel woman, to exercise such authority and such influence over the church in Thyatira. Now, we shall come to it eventually when we review the whole seven churches together. That's why at the present time we're not looking at the promises in detail to the overcomers in each of the churches. But we understand that the conditions that prevailed in these churches at the time prevail consistently down through the centuries to the very end, seven, of course, in the mind of John and the mind of the churches and in Asia, seven was a full revolution. It was uh, the number of perfection and completion. And it's as though history has been unfolded to us here, the deteriorating condition. And then the reviving, and then the deteriorating again in the life and in the history of the church until the Lord himself comes. But here in uh, Thyatira is a new development we haven't met with before in any of the other churches. We've not met with it before in the apostolic church. Thou sufferest that woman, it's as though you know perfectly well it's not right. You know perfectly well in Thyatira. This should not be allowed and you're allowing it to happen. And it's to your discredit. I remember reading General Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, of course, he was of the Anglican Church prior to his setting up his army. 
And he held the historic position that woman ought not to teach. He didn't question it. He didn't doubt it. But his wife was quite a strong character and she was very eager to get on a platform and to speak. Now he disapproved of it and at first he refused to allow it. Until, on one occasion then, he heard her actually speak. And he was convinced. She's got gifts. She knows how to address, how to persuade a great audience of men. In fact, he even felt There were times when she could speak better than himself. And he allowed it to develop and encouraged her to engage in that ministry. And that, of course, led to the opening up of the floodgates for females everywhere to begin preaching so-called and prophesying and ministering and teaching throughout the professing church. Now, the great question, and I have to say in many respects, I have great admiration for Booth and what he did, but it is just like here, the Savior commands. This is one of, it's one of the things that I never can figure out. even in our own circles. If we find fault with someone, we denounce them. That's it. I don't want to read anything they wrote. Don't want to hear anything they said. Don't want to be in contact with anything they believed. No, they're useless, hopeless, undone. What did Christ do? There were a lot of things mighty bad here in the church in Thyatira. But he commends what is good but does not overlook or fail to expose what is wrong. And what I find is that sometimes no credit whatever is ever given to some men whom God used, even though they had many errors and false practices and did things that were wrong. While we would have to be honest and commend Booth for many of the great deeds of charity, the work that he set up, the things he did for the poor and the impoverished, we have to then say we have this against him that he was persuaded not by biblical arguments, but he was persuaded by what he observed, even though it was contrary to what he previously believed the word of God taught. And this is 
What would have happened here in Thyatira? Well, we don't believe a woman should be teaching in Thyatira. But boy, she can't speak. We don't believe, we really doubt if she's got a biblical warrant for doing what she's doing, but my, what an orator she is. What amazing things she tells us. She holds the church and the audience in Thyatira. She holds it in the palm of her hand. They're just feeding out of her hands. We see her gifts. We've got to recognize them. See, that's what happens. And we've got to come back to that fundamental principle. Scripture alone is the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Now you can see that she's seductive. She has got a seductive manner. She is able to teach and seduce. She's not teaching the truth. But she's seducing men and women into error and into immorality, corrupting the life of the church, corrupting the teaching and the doctrine of the church. I gave her space to repent, but she didn't repent. It's not in her nature to repent. She's a prophetess. And she doesn't repent. I will then deal with her and I will cast her into a bed. I will kill her children. That all the churches, verse 23, shall know. They better know it. That I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And when I search, I know many of you people in Thyatira don't approve of it. But you won't stand up against it. And you won't denounce it. And you won't expose it. You suffer it. Isn't that what's going on today? Isn't that exactly what is going on everywhere in the professing church? And she was seducing them to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Very like, I was absolutely amazed. I was reading an article from an American religious periodical. And the title of the article was Almost everyone is doing it. The idea behind that was, because almost everyone is doing it, it's popular, must be right. And you might find this, I find it staggering, that 88%, 88%, 
of adult Americans, unmarried adult Americans, 88% are engaged in sexual activity. 88%. But worse, 80% of so-called evangelical Christians identifying themselves as evangelical Christians from the age of 19, I think it is, to 29, something like that. 80% are engaged, unmarried, evangelical, Christian, so-called, are engaged in sexual activity. Isn't that something to concern our society that we've gotten into such a state? Now people might say, oh, that's America. That's what America's like. Yes, we have that tendency to think that used to be in the United Kingdom. They said, what was in America yesterday will be in the United Kingdom tomorrow. And that, I'm afraid, is the state of Christianity, evangelical Christianity. The church has been seduced just as in the days of Jezebel and Thyatira. And what do we do? Well, we say almost everyone is doing it. So we might as well just keep quiet. Almost everyone is approving of it. So we're only going to cause trouble if we say anything. And we suffer it. And we suffer God's honor to be dragged in the gutter just like they did in the church in Thyatira. And what does Christ say? I hold that against you. I don't approve of it. But I won't won't tolerate it. I hold it against you because you should do something about it. But the time is gone. We better leave it there. May the Lord bless his word. Let us pray. Most holy and eternal God who art in heaven, we bow before thee, conscious of the darkness of our day, conscious of the awful apostasy all around us, the fearful departures from God's word, the questioning of the authority of thy truth. Lord, of mercy upon us. Enable us to be faithful to thy truth and to condemn that which is wrong, to expose that which thou dost disapprove of, but to approve of that which thou dost commend. Oh, have mercy on the church in our day. Revive thy work in the midst of the years that thy people might rejoice in thee. Apply thy truth, pardon all our sins, accept us for Christ's sake. Amen.